Hello, and welcome to Las Doctoras podcast, bringing you conversations about race, gender, sexuality, reproductive justice, and so much more. I am Dr. Renee Limas, gender pronouns she, her. I am Dr. Christina Rose, gender pronouns she, her, hers. In this podcast, we are going to share space with women and other people of color to discuss ways to dismantle all systems of oppression, including white supremacist, capitalistic, cis-heteronormative patriarchy. We imagine ourselves sitting at the table in our abuelita's house, sharing a pot of frijoles de la olla and chasing that with a shot of tequila, all while thinking up revolutionary ideas. That's the sentiment we hope to bring you, and we invite you to join us on this journey. Bienvenidos. Hello. Good morning. Welcome to our fourth episode. Uh, we're really excited that this is our fourth episode. We're here. We've been doing this now for several months since November. I love that. <laughs> I love this. It's so exciting. Uh, in this episode, we're really excited to be sharing our birth stories. You know, in these interviews that we've had with Danelia and with Cindy and um, been really impressed with the amount of vulnerability that we've been experiencing with our guests and I feel very inspired and I know as the interviews progressed really coming to a place where both you and I were it's ready we're, it's time <laughs> it's time we need to share our stories yeah. um, and I think it's a moment for us because maybe being in academia or, mm. um, you know, something like that, uh, highlighting other people's works and highlighting other people's stories, I think mm. is so much a part of our work. Yeah. Um, but the moment when we can reach in and be vulnerable is, is pivotal and it's powerful and it's needed, right? Yeah. And so... Uh, normalizing these conversations around our bodies and our flow and our blood is something that we think is so necessary. And I think it's intimately tied to telling our stories too. Yeah. Our personal stories with our bodies, um, with our flow since, you know, it began and then how that really came to a place, um, in our life where we gave birth and even post post birth too. Mm -hmm. What, what is that? How does that connection look with ourselves? Yeah. So I it really feels like this is one of the most important things that we could be doing. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's going to be really nice to kind of paint a full picture, right. Of, like you said, we've been interviewing um, these women about their stories and their journeys. And obviously it's important for us to kind of, tell our stories and you know I think it, it tells it says why we're so invested in this work mm -hmm. and why um, you know yeah why we think it's so important mm -hmm. agree I can't wait so without further ado all right Renee let's hear your story <laughs> so um, I've, I've shared my story oftentimes with my class when we talk about the topic of reproductive justice. Um, and again, I think it's important to, to really understand, you know, my investment in this work. Um, so it all started, I remember the date 
May 13th. Holy moly. <laughs> I don't know. I, remember, I can't. I mean, I guess I could do the math on the year, but I was in sixth grade and it was, it was, a, it was a Friday the 13th. Ah, that's why I remember. Wow. And, um, I, so I went to Catholic school, so normally I would be wearing a uniform, Mm -hmm. but it was free dress day, Mm -hmm. so I was not wearing a uniform, I was wearing, like, cute clothes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I remember, um, um, it was a Friday, and so my mom and dad were both at work, and my brother had picked me up from school, so I was at school, or I was at home, and I remember feeling kind, like, I just felt at the time, it felt like a stomach ache. Like, I just wasn't feeling good, and I was mm-hmm. really tired. So I went to the restroom, and I pulled my pants down, and I saw brown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I remember thinking, wait, they said that blood is, is red, so this is brown. This is not period <laughs> blood. This is something else. Mm-hmm. So They I, would have told me this, right? Yeah, right. Like, they would have said, you know, I don't know. And it was, like, brown. It wasn't just, like, maybe mm-hmm. a hint of red. It was brown. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I have a yeast infection. <laughs> I really, I really said, oh my gosh, like something's going on. And, and it was also scary because my brother, or my brother was there, my mom wasn't. So I, I kind of just denied it mm-hmm. and I pulled my pants up and mm-hmm. just went about the rest of my day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I don't know. I, I think my mom didn't come home till late and I went to sleep and I had a soccer game the next morning at 8 a.m. And so I was up at, you know, 6.30 or so, and my mom had to work on that day, too. And so I kind of, like, rushed over there, and I was like, Mom, there's some brown stuff in my 20s. <laughs> and she was like, oh, well, this is it. <laughs> it was kind of like, oh, so this is it. And I was like, oh, what? And she gave me a panty liner because she figured – she knew brown was just, like, you know, a little bit, right? Like, it yes. was spotting. And I was, I had no idea what it, what it was going to be like. So there I was with the panty liner thinking, oh my God, this is my period. I'm just going to be gushing blood. So I went to play my soccer game really like just self-conscious the whole time. You know, I was like, my legs were really tightly together. I was running all awkward and it was just a really kind of torturous, not torturous. It was just awkward for me. And after the game, I was like, okay, we're going to go home and I'll just, you know, I'll just wait, wait it out until my mom gets there. And I went home and, or we were on our way home and my brother and my dad, who didn't know, you know, they're like, oh, let's go get some breakfast and let's go stop at this yard sale. And I'm like, I just want to go home. And mind you, we were, my dad had a pickup truck. So I was in the middle of the two of them, like in the front seat. Oh, the picture is just becoming clearer and clearer. And it was just this really weird moment. And so, you know, it wasn't until way later that my mom finally got home and we were kind of able to have a conversation about it. And, you know, and so I think she gave me a pad and, um, and then my brother was kind of listening and he's like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> and I was like, and my mom's like, Renee started her period. And he was like, oh, oh, oh. And after that, it did become, because my brother and I shared a bathroom, you know, she did kind of say, uh, make it clear that I needed to make sure that I, I, my pads, that I rolled them up. Um, and I put them in toilet paper so that he wouldn't see them, mm-hmm. you know, that it would almost like this idea of it would be disrespectful or it would be gross, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to respect mm-hmm. that this is his space, too. Like, mm-hmm. it was just, it was kind of a, and I was like, okay. Obviously, it was very, no- that was normal to me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I went on. Um, 
as I, you know, and, and after that first time, I didn't get another period for like three months. And it was kind of like that for a while where maybe I would get it every couple months. And um, for I think my mom didn't really understand that. Like now I know that that's totally normal, right? When you first get your period for it to not really be regular mm-hmm. yet. But at the time, you know, my mom's expectations were like, okay, you're going to get it every month now. And it was not like that. Like maybe every three months, maybe sometimes it was like every other month. Um, And at some point she actually like thought I was pregnant. Oh God. And I was like, mom, I mean, at the time I was like, I hadn't even kissed a boy. And here's, you know, it was, it was really like, she almost got upset at me. And, um, does she have regular periods too? Like she, for the most part, she, no, she didn't have regular, she, they were irregular, Mm. but I think it was, um, because mine were like every three months, right? Like that was, that was, you know, anyway, so on top of that, I also had really, really bad cramps. Like Mm. there were days where, I mean, being, I remember being at school, like my head on my desk and people trying to be like, what's wrong? And I just couldn't say, and you know, obviously it's kind of embarrassing, um, or being at home, like in the shower and just being curled up and not wanting to move. Um, and I will note here that I'm talking about all this as I'm bleeding currently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, it's like my uterus is hearing me. Mm. Um. <laughs> I hear you, uterus. I hear you. Um, and so, you know, for most of my, you know, teenage life, I just experienced bad cramps and my, and, what was really interesting was that my mom said that she experienced bad cramps and that her, her mom didn't, so my grandmother didn't, so she didn't know how to help my mom when she when she was experiencing cramps. Mm-hmm. Like, she would do all of these different things, and then she finally took her to the doctor, and the doctor's like, oh, just give her Midol. And my grandma's like, what's Midol? <laughs> like, had no idea, you know, that there was, that you can kind of just take pain relievers, right, or something like that. Um, and so my mom's first thing at the sight of me having cramps was like, here's Advil, you know? And, mm. um, so it was, I mean, it was, it was how I survived, totally. you know? Um, and I also remember like not really using tampons and my, you know, I, I think, I don't even know when I first used a tampon, but it was just, my mom never used tampons and she kind of just said like, oh, we just don't do that. Like she never really gave me any kind of like scariness around it she just said oh I, I I've never used it so I don't know how like I don't even know how to tell you you know to, to talk to you. like she was pretty honest about that but so my whole teenage life I just experienced really bad cramps and I also experienced irregular periods so there were times when it would be all over the place um oh and the other thing is that I had pretty heavy bleeding and it would last a full seven days mm-hmm. um my mom even though she experienced a lot of cramping it was like three days my grandmother, who was opposite, experienced no cramping but seven days of heavy bleeding. So mm. I got the best of both of them. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I was like, a heavy mm. seven-day period was really bad cramps. So um, then, um, so, you know, that was like my teenage life. And then uh, around the time that I graduated high school and turned 18 and became sexually active, I decided to go on the pill. Mm-hmm. And... And also, because, yeah, I was sexually active, and um, so I was on the pill probably for about maybe two years. And then I think I, like, at that point, I kind of was going on and off of it, and when I would get off of it, 
it would like take forever to get a regular period again, Mm -hmm. like months and months. And so it kind of freaked me out. I would be afraid that I was pregnant. When I think back on it, you know, I think we talked about this with Cindy, how much anxiety like we just kind of like was normal, you know, always fearing that I was pregnant if I didn't get my period when really I wasn't getting my period probably because I wasn't ovulating. So I wasn't going to get pregnant anyway. (laughs) But I didn't know that at the time. So, yeah, so there was just a lot of, you know, but it was so normal for me. Like, okay, I haven't gotten in like three months. Oh, that's about right. Like, um, Mm. and okay, you know, you know, a lot of pregnancy scares, which really were not pregnancy scares, right? Just thinking about the inner (laughs) torture. You used that word earlier. They're like, no, not torture. But like, you know, those moments feels like you're torturing yourself kind of for something needless you know? and it's and it was a normalized thing in my life for years oh. years and years can we cry on this podcast <laughs> i might like, and it wasn't until maybe a couple years before i got married i was like okay we were living together at the time and i said well you know maybe i get back on the pill so i was gonna get back on the pill and i started or i was back on the pill and i started experiencing chronic yeast infections like Bad. If you've never experienced a bad yeast infection, it's like burning. Yeah. I mean, to the point where I didn't know that that was what a yeast infection was. <sighs> so we all went and, like, we all, like, I was having sex with people. <laughs> <laughs> but me and my husband, or my boyfriend, who is now my husband, but uh, me and Tommy, I was like, you better get your ass tested. I don't know what's going on. Like, why am I having all these issues? So we both got tested and we were all good. So then the only other thing was that it was yeast. And even though, and the doctor, I remember when he went and got tested, they said, it's not an STD, but if it is a yeast infection, even if you, like him, does not show symptoms the same way I do, it still can get passed back and forth. Right. So I still needed to take, like we both needed to take care of whatever yeast or fungus was there. Yes. Now, if you've ever had to have treatment for a yeast infection, it's worse than the yeast infection itself what is the treatment so it's they sorry give, we don't have to get into no no, no we do it's, it's a syringe yeah and you all i have is the thrush i haven't actually had thrush with my child oh. you know but that's a yeast infection too yes. right yes. yeah so um you because so here's the other stories i went to uh, get a pap smear and i told and it was a male doctor the only time I've ever seen a male gynecologist. And I said, I think I might have a yeast infection because I have all this, you know, stuff going on. It's super itchy, super burning. And he's like, oh, it's probably just, you know, he, he was very dismissive and like, oh, just maybe put some like ointment on there and it should be fine. I was like, okay. So he did all his thing. And then I, about a couple days later, I had a nurse practitioner call me back and she had seen like the test or whatever. And she goes, oh no, you have a full on like full-blown yeast infection and she like broke it down everything I needed to do and so I had to go to the far to the you know CVS or whatever and it was I had to do a seven-day series and it's a syringe and you insert it Hmm. into the vagina and it's like a cream that and it burns is that like monistat or something like that monistat and so and it burns like I would sit there at night like it was just burning so much um, like ah. super painful, like much more painful than the yeast infection itself. But I was like, I had it, this had already been like reoccurring for several months. So I think what it was, it was just getting worse and worse. Like totally. I hadn't been taking care of it. So it got to the point where I had to do this in order to get rid of it. 
completely, you know. So, yeah, that was traumatic. And after that, I said, because I was starting to do research, like, why is this happening? And it said it could be because of the birth control that you're on. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So (sighs) I got off the birth control and I got off birth control. Okay, so then where are we? I think... I think maybe we were married or no, no, we were still right before we got married. And, um, so I got off birth control and my period again was all over the place. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, oh, that's what it was. Okay. So we got on birth control. You had like a false menstruation, like, right. You yeah. had the fake menstruation every month, every so-, so many days. Right. So then I got off the, so then I got off birth control. That's what it was. So it was right around the, right before I got married, I got off the birth control. Then we got married literally like on our honeymoon, I was having all this spotting and then eventually I got my period, you know, when we came back from my honeymoon and it turned into like, I was spotting or bleeding for 30 days straight. Like it was a whole month. It wasn't heavy the whole month, but it was definitely stuff was coming out the whole 30 days. And I was like, okay, I need to go and see what's going on. Had to go to the doctor, had to do all these things. And they ultimately had to do an ultrasound of my ovaries. And, um, I think we talked about this too. When they do the ultrasound, it's the vaginal ultrasound. So that was super uncomfortable. And they finally figured out that I had polycystic ovarian syndrome because they could see, um, little cysts on my ovaries. And so when the cysts build on my ovaries, it prevents me from ovulating, which obviously prevents me from having a period. So I remember the, the approach was, well, it's not a big deal. Um, because it just means you're, you know, you're not going to get a period as often, but you know, if you eventually want to get pregnant, you know, then it might be an issue. I remember thinking, well, I'm not trying to get pregnant right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. How old are you? This was 25. I was Mm -hmm. 25. Mm -hmm. And I thought it's so weird because now when I think back of it, it's like, wow, I really dismissed so many signs of my body saying there's something up right like we need like there's something up but I was just so I don't know what if it was denial or just I don't know like I just didn't care enough at the time and I just was like okay so I'm gonna get my period every so many months or whatever and it again it became a normalized thing your your world is telling you this too right like and not to you know the doctors are telling you this your mom's telling you this, your grandmother. I mean, like, all your world is saying, like, that's just our reality. Yeah. You know, that is just it. Yeah. And so I, it wasn't until, let's see, I was maybe 28, 29, around there. Maybe 20, maybe I just turned 29 and Tommy and I were like, okay, let's, um, let's start to talk about getting pregnant. And I was like, okay. They had told me that because I don't ovulate often, you know, that this might be an issue. Now I was in the middle of my PhD program and I'm like already in research mode. (laughs) So I'm like, let's do some research. So there I was like, you know, because other other, I had talked to other people who had similar experience or similar things. And there's all the kinds of um, pharmaceuticals you can take that can uh, like promote ovulation, but I, I really wanted to try other options before I went that route. So I was like, okay, what are some maybe things that I can do to maybe help whatever's going on there? So a few things I did was, um, 
I, I came across think, talking about the hormones in the food that we eat, particularly like the milk. So I immediately went to organic milk. Um, and eventually I, I really don't drink milk at all, you know, unless it's almond milk. And even then it's not very often. But at the time I was drinking a lot of milk. So I've kind of transitioned by going to organic milk. Um, and um, and then a friend of mine who was a nurse, who is a nurse and now she's a midwife, um, she gave me the book Taking Charge of Your Fertility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I mean, I've said it a million times, it changed my life completely because I learned more about my cycle than I had ever known in my whole life. Mm. Um, you know, if you listen to our last or a couple podcasts with, with our interview with Cindy and she talks about fertility awareness and being able to track your cycle based on your, you know, your temperature and your cervical mucus and your cervix position. Like I had no idea mm-hmm. about any of that. Mm-hmm. I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I remember being young and having cervical mucus and thinking there was something wrong with me, thinking it was bacteria. Mm-hmm. Now realizing. Discharge. Right. Now realizing, oh, I was just ovulating. Mm-hmm. Right. I, mm-hmm. I had no sense of that. And mm-hmm. so it was so like so informative. It also had a section on, you know, people with PCOS and what you, you know, what you, like how you can sort of manage that as you're trying to get pregnant. And so there was just a lot. I was just, you know, I just dove into a lot of research, a lot of reading and um, at the same time trying to get pregnant. And you're like 29, 30. This is like I'm the 29 end. because it's like your end of your Saturn returns. Like you're really <laughs> like you are coming into yes. a new part of yourself. Yeah. So we were so <laughs> we were trying and, you know, I was tracking my cycle for the first time in my whole life. And what I found was um, that I it, my periods weren't necessarily irregular. Mm-hmm. They were just mm-hmm. not 28 days. Mm-hmm. So they would range anywhere from like 35 to 40 days, which they still do. Mm-hmm. They still range. They still fall within that range. Um, and so I was like, oh, so it's just going to, so I'm not ovulating on day 14. Mm-mm. So I can't, try to conceive on that day yeah right so um but it even took me a couple cycles to even kind of figure that out yes so i think overall it took us about five five cycles right so you can imagine five cycles of 40 days was you know that's quite a few months yes yes and um it wasn't until i just was like instead of trying to time conception at a certain time i was like let's just Go with what I'm feeling. <laughs> so I, right? Because that's something you could trust too. Well, I, I, what? Here's what we did. This was our approach. Was you're just throwing it all down? I'm gonna say just, all this intimacy. I'm like, oh my god, when it's my turn. <laughs> I, you know, I, I like to be transparent because I think it's important that if other people have similar stories, they don't feel like they're alone in those stories. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. So my approach was instead of getting stressed out about trying to get pregnant, let's just have fun. Right? Mm. Let's make it be an enjoyable thing. So I said, let's just have sex. After I get off, after I'm done with my period, let's just have sex every other day until the next period. <laughs> so that's... <laughs> I'm trying to say, imagine Tommy's. <laughs> I know. So that's pretty much what we did. We just were like... And sometimes it wasn't every other day. Sometimes it was every three days or, you know, whatever. And then... It worked. It worked, and um, and I and I got pregnant. Of course, I think there's a there was a lot of other factors too. Like we had been living in Riverside, 
and we were in the transition moving back here to Long Beach. So I didn't get pregnant until we moved to Long Beach. So we always talk about, oh, you know. You were relaxed. You were yeah. having fun. Yeah. I mean, all these things, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. So anyway, so if I finally got pregnant. But after kind of all that learning I had done just in trying to get pregnant, it really kind of set me down this other path of becoming much more in touch with my body, becoming much more in touch with like what is, um, you know, what what does pregnancy look like, right? And, and what does that mean? And just really wanting to educate myself because I had felt so um, misinformed about my flow up until that point. Mm. And now it's like, I don't want to be misinformed about pregnancy, right? I want to just mm. learn everything that I can. Mm-hmm. I will also say that my sister-in-law um, had... Uh, uh, she had attempted a home birth. She eventually had to get be transferred. But um, when she was pregnant, she um, I remember being at her house and she was going to go talk to the midwife like for her regular appointment. And she's like, oh, does anyone want to go with me? And I was like, I'll go. And I went and I heard her just I saw the kind of care that the midwife was giving her. Yes. I literally came home that day and was like, Tommy, we are having a midwife. Like, I didn't know if it was going to be in the hospital at a birth center, but I knew that I wanted midwifery care. Like, it, it, it literally sold me overnight. And up to that point, there was a lot of skepticism from my family about her having a home birth, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's dang- like you know, we all know all those, all the fears around home birth. Mm-hmm. And after I, I myself went to talk to her midwife, I felt, I felt much more comfortable and I was very supportive of her. Mm-hmm. And, um, it literally like, changed my mind overnight. And so when I got pregnant, um, I'll say another few things. When I got pregnant with Cruz, I started having some spotting. So I was nervous that maybe I was miscarrying. So we went to the doctor and we had to kind of go a couple times just to make sure that everything was okay. And so we ended up going to an OB first and we went for a couple times and um, our experience was, uh, it was, th- I think Tommy and I both could kind of feel there was something that we weren't comfortable with. It, and not that it was anything particularly bad. Mm-hmm. It was just sort of like, uh, it felt very cold. It felt very like, mm-hmm. you're just another number. Okay, mm-hmm. come in. Mm-hmm. Let me mm-hmm. check. Mm-hmm. Okay, bye. Mm-hmm. And um, there was something, I don't know, like we both couldn't really put our finger on it. And I was like, well, let me look into some birth centers. Because at that point, I really wasn't. He didn't even think that I wanted to do a home birth. I, yeah. I knew I wanted a midwife. Um, but I said, well, let's look into some birth centers. So I was looking around. And at the time in Long Beach, um, there wasn't one in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now there is. But at the time, there wasn't. And so the closest one was in uh, Irvine. Yeah, it was in Irvine. I think mm-hmm. at the time, was it in Irvine? or I know that now they're in Irvine. But I think at the time, they were at a different location. And it might have been... Costa Mesa, but in mm-hmm, Orange County. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we went over there for a consultation and they told us all the different options. I mean, first of all, walking in there, it was like the, it was just a very different approach. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so then, you know, they walked us through all the different options of, you know, birth center, birth, mm-hmm. home birth, different pricing options, mm-hmm. everything. Um, and I remember being like, okay, being in this birthing center thinking like, oh, this is where I'm going to have my baby. And I walked out and Tommy said to me, let's just do it at home. (laughs) And I looked at him like, 
what? <laughs> I never in a million years would have thought that. I thought I was going to have to convince him to do it in the birth center. And he was the one saying, let's do it at home. Yeah. And I thought, okay. Like, I was not going to say no. Like, it was like, okay, let's, if you're on board, I'm on board. Let's do this. And it was, it was literally as simple as that. And I think maybe because we had already seen the OB and kind of seen that kind of mm-hmm. care and now seeing such a stark difference, um, for him, at least, that was, like, the the turning point. Um, and so, yeah, so we went, we started, um, you know, going to see a midwife, and then we ended up, um, I was taking prenatal yoga classes with this uh, person who was a doula, and she was teaching, she also taught hypnobabies. Mm-hmm. So we did those birthing classes with her, and that was, like, oh, my God, like, learning so mm-hmm. much, right? Like, walking me through the process of, childbirth and like transition and all the stages of labor and I was like what what is this I had no idea right you sort of see in the movies or you have or people tell stories but you don't really understand like the biology the science the you know like what it really is about and so you know it was the more I I learned the more you know I just, I became passionate about, like, you know, I want to know more. The more I learned, the more I wanted to know. That led to, you know, my first birth. And so my first birth, I went into labor on Christmas morning. Mm. And uh, I remember because usually my family does their big thing on Christmas Eve. And I was not feeling well. Like, I was, actually, I was sick. Like, I straight up had congestion and stuff. And I said, I don't think I want to be around a lot of people. Like, I'm super pregnant and I'm not feeling good. So I, for the first time and the only time ever in my whole life, I didn't spend Christmas Eve with my family. Like, we were at home and we actually Skyped into them. <laughs> like, they were doing the, the posada and Your family is my brother was holding us up <laughs> on the iPad. <laughs> and it. doing the whole prayers with them from, you know, from home. And But it was, you know, but I, yeah. And anyway, what's so funny is, so the Christmas Eve night, um, I wasn't feeling good, but I did feel good enough to make cookies. <laughs> I said, we're going to go in the morning to at least see my niece and nephew open their gifts, right? So, um... You were doing your own little nesting. So I was doing, yeah, so I was like, so I made like two bad, two dozen cookies, <laughs> right? And then the next morning at six o'clock in the morning, I had the the bloody show, right? Mm. So the mucus plug falls out and it's kind of bloody. And I remember telling Tommy... I think, I think something's happening. But at the time, my contractions were like maybe 20 minutes apart. So we went to my mom's house and I'm sitting there watching, you know, the kids open, you know, my... my... Were you living here at the time? Yeah, I was living here. And, um, and so I went over to my mom's and, and, you know, my niece and nephew were opening their gifts and my sister-in-law looks at me and she's like, you're in labor. And I was like, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. But, uh, I mean, I totally was. And so we came home and I was in labor all that day. And then I think the next day my contractions started to get closer together. Mm -hmm. So we called the midwife and the doula. So the doula came and she was kind of helping us. Um, And the midwife was just like, well, you know, like because she knew we weren't anywhere close. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she's like, just keep doing what you're doing, you know. And so I was using my hypno babies, like, you know, self-hypnosis. Like I was doing it all. And then that night, um, my contractions really started to get close. So the midwife came and 
you know, she was monitoring me and, uh, and I'll never forget. So here, right? Like I'm mm-hmm. walking back and there's a different mm-hmm. couch. So we're walking back and forth and all of a sudden throw up my whole life. Oh, really? Like just spontaneous. Yes. There was no warning. It just, yes. and I, it was Christmas time. So I had, had tamales. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just like bleh. it was just nothing but you could see the color of the chile like it was just throw up like and I'm not a person who throws up so I was like what is happening and I'll never oh, that's like a key thing right you're you're in it yeah so the midwife goes well that's a good sign <laughs> and I was like what this is good it means that you're transitioning and I was like what the fuck are you talking about and, um, and so, um, but I was really struggling. I had been in labor for two whole days at this point mm-hmm. and I was in the pool at this, like in and out of the pool and, and, um, and she looks at me and she said, and I was exhausted. I hadn't slept, you know, in two days and she looks at me and she goes, you know, exhaustion is the number one reason that, that people transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd really like you to get some rest. She goes, so I'm thinking I'm going to give you some morphine so that you can get some rest and have energy to push. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was like, uh-huh, sounds good. <laughs> whatever, whatever you want to give me. And so she um, so she, she put an IV, <laughs> gave me morphine. I went to bed. I slept for a couple hours. And then I woke up and I started feeling like pushing. Um, but I was just like just trying to relax through them. And so then... Waking up that day, the next day, day three. I know. I'm like, how, where are we now in the hours? So day three, and I'm like, uh, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I was ready to wrap this shit up and go to the hospital. Like, let's pack it up and go. So the midwife came, and it was a different midwife, right? So at the practice, I think there was like four different midwives. So the different midwife came, and she goes, well, I'm just going to check everything, you know. And so as she was checking everything... Because at this point, my water had broke, and so she said, I need, to, I need to do some antibiotics. Like, that's just protocol, you know, that your water has been broken for so long. For so long. And I'm like, okay. So she's kind of figuring it out, and I tell her, okay, what's going to happen if I go to the hospital? And she goes, well, I'm, as soon as we get there, the first thing they're going to do is give you an epidural, and then they'll give you Pitocin. I'm like, okay, as long as, as, long as we're not talking C-section. Like, I was ready to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> she goes, um, but let's just see. Let's just see what's going on before we, you make a decision. And I was crying, like bawling. You're like I was there. at my end, and I just I was. And and the this is what the midwife tells me. She goes, "Well, let's before we make any decisions, you know, let's just see what's going on." And she and so this tattoo that says she's, she had she was white, but she spoke Spanish. And she asked me, "What does that say?" She knew what it said, but she was like trying to distract me. And I, and as soon as that, like I started crying, right? Because I had no faith in myself at that point that I could do this. And I, and she goes, well, what does that mean to you? And I was like, eh, it means I'm supposed to be able to do shit. <laughs> she said, what? She said, what? And I, I remember looking at Tommy and I was like, and he goes, I think you can do it. So she went and, and so I went and laid down and she, cause she wanted to see where baby was. And she literally opened the only way that was comfortable for me was on my side. So she kind of like lifted my leg and she looked and she goes, just start pushing. Like the baby yeah. was there. Like I had done a lot of the work already. Oh, yes. I was like, 
right? You don't have to tell me twice. So I got my second wind. And the thing, too, about in all of this is that because of the morphine, it had kind of spaced my contractions. Yes. So they wanted to stimulate contractions with um, a breast pump, right? It's a nipple stim- yes. stim- stimulation. But I didn't have a breast pump. So I had to call my mom. Hey, I'm in labor. Can you go and get me a breast pump? A 200 and whatever dollar breast pump. <laughs> so there, there her and my dad go to buy me a breast pump. And she came, comes and drops it off. And I was like, okay, thanks, mom. Bye. Like, you know, like <laughs> it was already in the plan for her not to be here. I know. I'm trying to, so yeah, she literally like, like peeks huh? through the door and she's like, hi, Mija. And she, I was like, okay, like having a contraction. And she like, you know, so she was, I knew she felt so helpless, you know. Yes. Um, so anyway, so we're there, you know, I'm pushing. I pushed for maybe, I think it was like an hour and a half. And I was like pushing like. You know, I just got a second win and I pushed him out and, um, and he came out, you know, and it was, <laughs> and it's really, it, there's a video of it and it's so raw. No one can ever see it. <laughs> it's so raw and butt naked. Just, it's the most raw moment of my life. And, you know, I remember him yeah. coming out and, you know, of course everybody was kind of like, cause we didn't know the sex even though we know how that could be problematic. Mm-hmm, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But everybody was like, oh. And I didn't even... I had had dreams mm-hmm. that he was a quote-unquote boy, right? Mm-hmm. So I I guess I kind of just already knew. So I didn't look for that. I looked for... I wanted to see his eyes. Of course. I wanted to see... I did want to... Like, did he get my eyes? That's what I wanted. Like, it was weird. Like, did he get my eyes? And so I was like looking right to see it. And then they're like... they're Everyone's kind of like waiting. Like, you know, boy, girl. And I was like, oh, <laughs> It was kind of a, an afterthought, I think, yeah. for me, which is really interesting. But mm-hmm. um, so anyway, so but after that, because um, my labor was for so long um, and I was in the tub and my placenta wasn't coming. So they got me out of the tub and I started convulsing like my whole body just started like completely oh. like uncontrollably shaking. They laid me down on the bed and they were like, we don't want you to hemorrhage. So I got Pitocin then. Yes. So, which is a painful shot, right? It was, it was in the leg and it was painful. So I was laying on the bed and she was able to massage out the placenta after that. Mm -hmm. Um, They eventually took me to my bed. I was dehydrated Mm -hmm. and I could not pee. Mm-hmm. So they had to do a catheter mm-hmm. and, um, and then, so they did a catheter, um, and then I was just really dehydrated. And so they, they gave me IV yeah. and they had to like change the IV, like where it was in my, like it, I think it was in my wrist or no, it was in my wrist and they had to change. It was a whole thing. They gave me three bags of IV. And then after that I had to pee like <laughs> every five seconds and then I, they, they were able to help me take a shower. And while I was in the shower, that's when they weighed him. And I remember them calling eight pounds. And I was like, eight pounds? What? And I tore. Mm -hmm. So they had to sew me up. It was like, I had every intervention that you could have at a home birth, Mm -hmm. you know, minus Mm -hmm. short of having to transfer. Mm -hmm. But because I had certified nurse midwives, um, they were able to do all that. They had all of that stuff available to them. Um, and I just remember, so there I was, and I call my mom like, Hey, baby's here. And we, they had family in in town from (laughs) Mexico. They had family in town from Mm -hmm. Mexico. Mm -hmm. And so they were visiting with them 
And I'm like, Mom, I need you. <laughs> so she's like, well, maybe I'll tell your grandma to go over there. I'll tell your aunt to take your grandma over there. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so my aunt brings my grandmother, and my grandmother immediately goes into, like, cooking mode, right? Aww. So she's making food, and my aunt comes. And, you know, so it was nice, at least, that I had, like, all these women around, you know, yes. with me. And then... So then the, eventually the midwife left, and eventually my mom got there, and I remember telling her, I just want you to braid my hair. I had really long hair at the time, mm. and it was all wet and, like, knotted, and I was like, I just need you to braid. Like, it was the only – it was the weird. It was the only thing I wanted. Like, I didn't – I just wanted her we to – We have hairdresser mothers. Yeah. We're used to them <laughs> like playing with our head hair. and our hair. And it, so it was just – that made me feel so much, like, better. And so it was all in all 57 hours mm-hmm. from – mucus plug to the cruise coming out um so that's that birth story <laughs> the second one is much more it's much quicker it's such um, a good story though it, it, and i want to say it's so affirming of choices and availability and, and options and, and you know people think that when i tell them 57 hours and i say three days and they're like oh my god and i'm like actually though when we look at in the annals of history, like that was actually that's actually normal, right? It, yeah. It's it's not abnormal. It wasn't until it was medicalized that twenty four hours was like the marker right. of you know. And anyway, so <clears throat> and also with, from when are you starting the countdown? Right. You know, to, it's, right. So it's, it's yeah. Um, there's no with, official with Santos. <laughs> he was. I feel like spiritually, he was just ready Mm -hmm. i got pregnant the first time we tried Mm -hmm. and um he he was four weeks early Mm. um in the middle of the night my water broke like busted like it wasn't like that with cruise it was kind of like trickled out was i could i actually woke up because i felt it like woke up from a dead sleep i felt the burst and i stepped out of bed and it was just like yeah. Everywhere. And um, so it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and I called the midwife, and she goes, just go back to bed and call me in the morning. <laughs> okay. This is midwifery care, right? Mm-hmm. It's just so mm-hmm. not panicky. Just Everything okay. is okay. Yeah. So I went back to bed, and I, um, I started having contractions, and then in the morning, I think maybe 6.37, I get a text from my cousin that she was engaged. <laughs> Your memory is amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, like she texts me the picture of the ring and there I am having a contraction. And I'm like, oh shit. And so I try to call her without telling her like I'm in labor. And I'm like, I'm so excited for you. <laughs> and anyway, so then I called I, four weeks early. So I wasn't able to have a home birth. And mm-hmm. I was, I was kind of sad about that, you know, like I was really looking forward to that. But I mean, in the end, it all worked out the way it needed to be. But I, I had to let that go immediately, which was a moment like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just hoping I didn't have to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So the I called the midwife, the midwife, you know, in the morning, she goes, okay, take your time. Get here whenever you get here. Okay. And then I had no idea what to pack. I wasn't planning a birth outside of my home. Yes. So I just still have at the birth center, which is Yeah. So I was throwing just all kinds of stuff in a bag and (laughs) made my mom come pick up crews. And so she came. And of course, on the way from my mom's house to here, which is less than 10 minutes, she had called everybody. I got a message from my cousin who was in Spain at the time saying, oh, I hear you're in labor. I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) 
did that happen in the less than 10 minutes it took you to get here? Yes. Um, so anyway, so we went to the birth center, and I think I got there at like 9.30, and I had him before noon. Mm-hmm. And Marisol was my doula, so I remember mm-hmm. being on the way there and calling her, and she's like, okay, I'll meet you there. And we got there, and um, my contractions were way more painful than they ever were when yeah. I was in labor the first time. Yeah. Um, they were like on top of each other. Like they yes. call it double peaking where mm-hmm. it never really got better. It was just mm-hmm. like, it would kind of go down a little and mm-hmm. then come back up. And then mm-hmm. I got a little bit of relief. It was really bad. And I remember thinking, I, can, I don't know how much long I can handle this. Like if this is going to be three days, like no way I can do this again. Yes. But, and then because I hadn't had the GBS test. Because it's early. So they had to, they give, had to give me antibiotics. I said, we're going to give you antibiotics. So there I was, they couldn't get a vein. Yeah. My body was rejecting the needle, like literally. And so I was sitting on the toilet and they're like, um, so I was in this beautiful birthing suite, beautiful birthing suite. And yes. so they're, you know, in there the benefits of going that. around me. And so I'm on the toilet and she's trying to find a vein for maybe a good 20, 30 minutes. And I looked at her and I was like, you need to stop. You need to stop poking me. And she goes, okay, we're going to give you a break and we'll come back later. You know, I was like, Okay. They walked out literally. So and then I said, you know, I think I need to get off the toilet. So they, so Marisol and Tommy took me over, and I was kind of on my hands and knees, or like halfway on the bed, and my knees were on the floor. And I, and I was like, within a minute, I said, I'm push like this. I feel the need. I feel the urge to push. Mm-hmm. And Marisol ran and got the the midwife. The midwife came. Literally, she got a flashlight, <laughs> looked behind me, and said, "Okay, you do what you got to do." Mm-hmm. And I didn't even, I didn't even consciously push. My body literally did all the pushing for me. Mm. Like I did not push at all. Like my body just knew what to do. And I pushed for two minutes mm. and Santos was, came shooting out. Mm. Um, and I was bawling. And, um, and the other thing I'll say is that, so with Santos, his temperature was running a little low. Hmm. So they had to do a lot of like skin to skin. So they mm-hmm. literally stripped me down, stripped the baby down, put him on me and then like covered us in blankets mm-hmm. and like a warmer and all this stuff. And, you know, and um, and so we were there for a little longer than maybe normal. Mm-hmm. And so we hadn't eaten and they're like, do you want us to go get you some food? And we're like, yeah, they literally went like the, the mm-hmm. midwife assistant brought us pizza, like a whole pizza from down the street. I love it. I was like, oh, my on the specialty of care. It's just simple. <laughs> it was amazing, yeah. you know. And then that night we were home and, um, you know, uh, I remember when we were home and my mom brought Cruz home. And, Cruz, you know, we were warning Cruz about baby, baby, baby. And he, he I don't know what his thought was. <laughs> the first time he saw Santos, he goes, he's so little. <laughs> I don't know what he imagined, right? But it was, it, that was like, you know. The best, it was sort of the moment that ended that day, you know. And, and then, of course, I'm calling my cousin on the way home, like, because I just had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and she's, like, posting everywhere that she, you know. Yeah. Engaged. Is engaged. engaged. Uh-huh. There's this big old video of how he proposed. Aww. And then it's like, and Renee had a baby. I was like, I didn't want to, like, steal yeah. your thunder. And she's like, yeah. what are you talking about? So, anyway, those are my beautiful birth stories. Um, I Again, I think... I like to be transparent about them because I think they're just really important. Yes. Um, because 
we want we need to see the variation and the diversity in those experiences, right? Does it all look the same? Mm-mm. Even from my pregnancy, one to another is vastly different. Yes. Um, yeah. And now my babies are three and six. I know. <laughs> so you have like, yeah, post post birth, post pregnancy, like the your relationship with your cycle, even just briefly. Like, how is yeah. that like? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's, it's, I didn't get a period overall when I, from pregnancy, um, to birth and all that for two years, a little over two years, 26 mm-hmm. months. And then I had like three cycles and then got pregnant again. Mm-hmm. And then with that, my hormones were really different. So I would get like a period, like I got it maybe like five months later, I got something that looked like mm-hmm. a period and then mm-hmm. I didn't get it again for another five months. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it went kind of erratic until it finally kind of normalized. And now it does range anywhere from 35 to 40 days. I don't have nearly as bad cramps. Hmm. Like mm-hmm. from when I was, you know, in puberty, right? When I was a teenager, how bad they were. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe in the last, since I've gotten my period, you know, since Santos, maybe one time I had really bad cramps and it was like, one day and that was it and I just haven't had bad cramps in, which I'm like so grateful for right so you haven't seen like a doctor for ultrasounds like to see where those cysts when I was happening when I was pregnant with Santos they saw a cyst mm-hmm. so they knew that there that and I was like oh yeah I know like I felt like oh I get it you know and um and they weren't alarmed by it but since then I haven't I don't know what the um I have had a lot of blood work done that confirms mm. you know PCOS um, I've had a lot of other sort of autoimmune things going on, but as far as my cycle goes, for me, it's been regular, like a 40 day cycle. Mm-hmm. I still mm-hmm. have pretty heavy bleeds for mm-hmm. seven days, mm-hmm. but I don't have as bad cramps. Um, but my relationship to my flow is much different than it was, you know, ever. Yes. Um, you know, using cloth pads now, free bleeding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love it. Um, just giving myself much more compassion. You know, like today when you came over and I said, so I'm bleeding, so I'm mm-hmm. going to be a little slow today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just really giving myself space for that. That's mm-hmm. something I never did. I always was like, oh, I'm not on my period, but I still have to get things done. And now I'm just like, I'm on my period so I can pause and, and just... Mm-hmm. Um, allow myself space to, if I'm tired, then I'm tired. I'm going to rest, you know, yeah. and I'm going to be okay with if I don't do anything today or if mm-hmm. nothing gets done or if, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, you know, um, just much more compassion for my flow than I ever had ever. Yep. Mm, thank you so much for telling me your story. That was such a beautiful telling us your story. <laughs> I just am so impressed by your memory and your your willingness and your ability to just be transparent and vulnerable. So thank you so much. Thanks. I almost cried. So that was my story. And originally we had planned for um, Christine and I both to share our stories in this episode. But both of our stories ended up being so rich and beautiful that we decided to break it up into two episodes. So in our next episode, you'll hear Christina's beautiful story. So um, stay tuned for that. Thanks.